Sean Luke Antill was a 24-year-old from Harrison County, Ohio. He was the father of two, and his nickname was Scrappy. On December 23, 2017, Sean was with Preston Yates. Accounts differ, but allegedly they got chased in Preston's car, ran into a fence, then Sean ran off. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Anyone who knows me well knows how much I hate losing. I'm very much like Oakland A's general manager Billy Bean, who hates losing more than he loves winning. The people who run the trivia nights I go to, I think they know how much I hate losing. Some of my fellow disc golfers, yeah, they know it. My family, who I've played chess and Scrabble and a bunch of other board games against, yeah, They know. My attitude is life is too short to spend time losing. I'm sure people who win have much more pleasurable lives. Well, I bring that attitude to Unfound. One of my main motivations is I don't want these killers to get away with what they've done. It's not a game, of course it isn't, but it is a competition between myself and them between you, the public, and them, between all of us and them. And really, too often, we lose. Well, in the disappearance of Sean Antill, we once again face one of our most noted adversaries, the career criminal who has no respect for human life. In this case, who surely knows what happened to Sean. How do we stop them from getting the better of? And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, charlieproject.org. Sean Antill had a rough life brought upon him from both without and within. At 16, an uncle gave Sean a drug that almost killed him. Part of Sean's family taught him to steal and lie. Yet, Sean made a lot of bad choices all on his own. He was in and out of jail many times. Sean may have even been in a gang. However, he also had good people in his life, his father and other persons on that side of the family. But for those first 24 years of Sean's life, it was a struggle between the good and bad side. So, on December 23rd, 2017, Sean was with one of his acquaintances, Preston Yates, a guy Sean had met at a halfway house earlier that year. Just two weeks before, the two had stolen a truck to presumably use for drug transporting. Unfortunately, Sean left his phone in that truck, and on that December 23rd, the police were looking for him. 
stories have changed wildly over the last three and a half years. But Preston claims he and Sean got chased, and Preston ran his truck into a fence. The two then ran off, getting separated in the process. Sean was never seen again. The problem? This was not the first story Preston had told, and the facts do not back up this particular story. Producing Unfound for almost five years, I continue to be amazed and stumped by people who can get caught committing the simplest of crimes, but who are also able to make people disappear like Houdini. The two qualities would not seem to go together, but they do. With Sean's case, we are once again confronted with this paradox, and we start where we always do, by considering these three questions. Number one, would Preston really go out of his way like it seems he did to firm up his story that appears to be a lie? Number two, do Preston's and Sean's phone pings from December 23rd, 2017 actually tell the entire story, despite what Preston and others have told investigators? And number three, is there any truth to the rumor about a party where Sean was allegedly beat up and killed? The father's side of Sean's family believes he was murdered for what could be a variety of reasons. The guest for this episode is Sean's aunt, Julie Scott. Unfound News With every passing episode, Unfound gets closer to its fifth anniversary. Hard to believe. We will celebrate the occasion the first Friday of September. Five years. I cannot believe it. Next, I had to call T-Mobile this past week for a question about my phone. I ended up talking to a tech guy who seemed overtly friendly. I really couldn't understand it. Then right at the end, as I was hanging up, he said, By the way, you're awesome. I think he was an unfound listener. Finally, Yes, I managed to get this episode done despite a hurricane running right past my balcony. Mother Nature will not stop this program. Really, it wasn't that bad. But it was quite the spectacle. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Spotify, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Deezer, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us for the Unfound live show. All of you can talk with me, and I can answer your questions. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. This week, I need to thank Sue. You can also contribute at PayPal, paypal.me forward slash unfoundpodcast. I also need to give a huge shout out to all the people who have monetarily contributed using Super Chat during the live show on Wednesday nights. Thank you for watching and thank you for donating. The email address unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Merchandise, the books at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Do not forget the reviews. 
shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com or you can track down my assistant Heather in the Facebook group. Playing cards at makeplayingcards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfound podcast. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the aunt of Sean Antill, Julie Scott. Julie, welcome to Unfound. Thank you, Ed. I'm glad to be here. And I, I appreciate you joining me on this episode as well. It's been good to get to know you. Let's start here. Uh... Being that you are Sean's aunt, uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in being, I guess, the spokesman for Sean's family, uh, how well you knew Sean, what you remember him in, uh, about him, your interactions with him. Let's just start there. Okay. Um, I first met Sean Antill uh, the night I took his mom to the hospital to give birth to the boy. Wow. Um, I then lived with Sean and his mom for approximately three years in Steubenville. So I was very, very interactive with him as a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, things happened between um, myself and, and Sean's mom and aunt and and we all kind of went our separate ways i ended up moving to maslin canton area which is about an hour and a half away from steubenville Mm -hmm. so i did not have much interaction with sean after um after that until he was a a teenager um my brother and stacy split ways um it was there was never really any hard feelings between the families it was just more of a split and didn't really have too much communication after that okay um until uh, unfortunately when sean was 16 he was given an opana by his stepfather gary stock and we had to go to pittsburgh children's hospital to potentially tell my nephew goodbye because they weren't sure that he was going to make it through that. And gave him gave him a what? Say that again, please. It's an opana. It's an opiate. Oh my gosh. It's a very strong pain pill. Oh my. Um, and Sean had a very adverse reaction to it, and he almost passed away then. Why did that happen? Um, why Why did he do that? What? what uh, happened? I. I don't really know, Ed. I'm not real sure. Okay. I guess, uh, I'm not sure if it was a, a partying thing mm-hmm. or a actual he was in pain and needed relief from it thing. There's been speculation on that, so I really okay. can't say. All right. Um, but after that, then we had more of a relationship with Sean because he was older and could make choices of his own. 
Um, he would come to my diner and have me make him some food. He would go to my mom's and hang out with my mom. He would go and see his dad more regularly. When he started having children, he actually lived with my mom for a while. He brought his children to us. We got to see his children when they were babies. And huh. now since Sean's gone, it's almost uh, history repeating itself because now we have absolutely no relationship with his children either. And how old are they now? Um, Braxton is seven, I believe, and King five. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So we had this kind of uh, this split up, but then you kind of reconnected with him, and and uh, let's just maybe go. What would you say about uh, Sean's uh, personality? I, you know, I, I just was looking at this uh, before this interview started. Uh, he was not that big of a guy, was he? Kind of a, a little guy. Uh, is that uh, genetic? Uh, do the Antils in your family, or, or that was, uh, I think he's 5'3". Yeah, we're, some of us are very small, yes. Okay. Okay. Um, Sean was very bubbly. Sean wanted to uh, make everybody happy. He always had a joke. He always had a hug. He always wanted a hug. Um, mm -hmm. He always wanted to make people feel comfortable. And he did a good job at that. Mm -hmm. um, now, he has the nickname Scrappy. And for uh -huh. as little as he was, he was yeah. a little dynamite stick. I get it. That I, I think that that uh, nickname fits. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But he was very bubbly. He was very, he wanted to include everybody. He, he was very... Um, he just wanted to make people happy that he was around. If he saw you smiling, he was smiling even bigger. Okay. What were some of his interests? The way you remember, you know, once again, teenage years, uh, into his 20s. What were some of the things he was into? Uh, unfortunately, Sean, Sean was, a, he was a street kid. Mm -hmm. He uh, grew up in the streets. He was not stranger to criminal activity um mm -hmm. like i said the, the boy overdosed by the time he was 16 years old wow. um so i know he has a, an extensive criminal background i know he's been in jail for criminal mischief petty theft domestic violence obstruction of justice trespassing mm -hmm. endangering a child ovi um receiving stolen property uh, did I say Grand Theft Auto already? I mean, he was... What, he was why Why did, was that? I mean, you obviously had interaction with him. You seem like a fine person to me, Julie. Uh, in a prior conversation, I got to s at least speak to his father a little bit. Seems like a good guy. There was an, uh, uh, another woman on the call who seemed like a great person. But he, you know, he seemed like he had a lot of um, potential good, potentially good role models in his life. Um, what happened there, do you think? I know, it's not that I think, I know okay. that Sean had tutelage in criminal activity growing up. And I will contribute that to Gary Stock, which was his stepfather. Okay. Um, the man also has a very extensive criminal background. Mm-hmm. He also... Whenever I was younger, I had interaction with him myself, as did my brother. They were friends. And he taught my brother how to steal a car, Sean's real dad. So 
it's a very um once you dip your toe in it you're you're either going yeah. to continue that avenue or you're going to step out of that avenue. Luckily, my brother knew what that would lead to when he was very young, and he stepped out of it immediately. The first um, run-in with the law my brother had, he pretty much backed off and was like, okay, this is not the lifestyle mm-hmm. for me. I'm a merit. We are Christians, and we don't do these things. So okay. my brother got out of it. Um, Gary Stock continued with it, and unfortunately, that's where Sean was raised. And he has been in the criminal activity his whole life. Okay. All right. And I will talk about a little bit more about that in a second. But you had told me, though, that um, even though he was doing these things, that he also had had a job um, working with his uncle, cleaning out tanks or something. You know, what was was going on with that? Um, Well, yeah, Sean Sean was starting to grow up uh, and mature. He realized he had children of his own. He started to get a steady job. He wanted to get out of the criminal activity. Um, He started to... It it was almost like uh, Sean had a a little angel and a little devil on his shoulder. Um, When he was listening to the little devil, you're sure to find him with the the stock element and the Mm -hmm. criminal element. And yes, some of the angels are involved in the criminal element. Um, I'm talking about drugs and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and then there's a little shul- uh, angel on Sean's other shoulder. And when he was listening to that, he was more likely to come and find us. Um, come mm. in and spend more time with the, the Scots and the Merits. Okay. Um, I, I don't know how else to put that, but okay. it was like, Sean, we just actually, whenever I did a background check on Sean through my Been Verified app, I did find that Sean actually purchased a hunting and fishing license shortly before he went missing um and that will attribute that to my brother that's what my brother does he's a hunter he's a fisherman he likes to be in the outdoors he likes to be close to god and sean started to enjoy those things also so he purchased Mm -hmm. his own hunting license and fishing license Mm -hmm. and i don't think many people realize that or know that okay but uh, regarding this job, this uncle that he was working with, on, on your side of the family or on... No, that would be the Antill side of the family. The Antill side of the family. So that's the job Although that he Sean had. Sean did work with my brother yeah. also, cutting trees and stuff. So yeah, I mean, okay. he, he was in the last, I'll say, three to four years starting to, to try to get a grasp on how to get his life to go the other way. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, um, let's move on to this. You've already kind of brought up some of these things. Maybe we need to go back to this uh, overdose that happened at the age of 16. Um, you know, I think maybe for a lot of people, something like that happening at 16 would, you know, scare them a- a- away from from drugs, but it, it doesn't seem it did that. That's what it did for Sean. Uh, you know, what happened after that, after he recovered? Uh, he's... He remained in the in the street life. He he really that was sixteen. So I'm gonna say from mm-hmm. like sixteen to nineteen, he continued those things. Mm-hmm. And then after he started having children of his own, he wanted to do better. So he started to try to be a responsible adult, which sometimes he lapsed and went back the other way. Yeah, it's like he was practicing, and sometimes he slipped. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to this. Uh, of course, you've talked about his jail time. 
Uh, you know, the trouble that he got into. You've already listed his uh, criminal record. Um, when you would be around him and knowing these things about him, you know, what would he say? What, you know, being that none of us knew him and never had a chance to talk to him, of course, we hope that he is, of course, still alive and pops up one of these days so we can all talk to him about all of this. But you now represent him. Um, what would he say when you would talk to him about him getting in trouble and, and these things? Did What would he say? What was his reaction? Um. Anytime somebody would bring it up, he would almost laugh it up and, and be like, well, you know what's up, or, you know, I'm trying, or, you know, I'm going to try to do better. He, he always knew that he was doing wrong, but it was almost so second nature to him that he could laugh it off. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I guess what you're saying here is just to just to be frank with you, you could talk to him about these things, but he was just going to kind of try uh, continue to do his own thing anyway. Correct. Okay. All right. Um, My mom actually put him over her knees and spanked his butt with a wooden spoon because she thought he didn't get enough of that growing up. Oh. And he thought it was a joke at first, but yeah. no, my mom kind of really laid into him, and <laughs> he had tears in his eyes and was like, Grandma, what'd you do that for? And she said, because you deserved it, and I know there's many more things that we didn't get to smack your butt for that you deserve, so. Oh. And how old, uh, that's a story, uh, I've not heard this story before, how old was he when that happened? Uh, he was about 19. Wow. Yeah. 19 years old, getting taken over your grandmother's knee. Yes, okay, sir. Okay. All right. So he had these, he was struggling with some things. On top of everything else, uh, he was a father. How many kids did he have? Um, two? He's, he's, got, he's got two boys mm-hmm. that everybody knows about. Um, okay. And uh, so that was uh, his girlfriend, or uh, I don't think we want to get into her full name, but let's just uh, use her first name, uh, but so we can talk about her a little bit. But um, so they had two children together. Yes. Okay. And um, let's move on to this. where was he around, let's just say, the six months before he went missing? Where was he living? Was he living with this girlfriend and these children? Was he living on his own? Was he living uh, with somebody on your side of the family, the other side of the family? What was he doing? Okay. Sean, I'm going to say, was almost like a carpetbagger in that aspect because he did make his rounds to several different places. No, none of those places were with his baby's mom's. Um, she was living in Cincinnati and she did not come home after Sean was missing for almost a year. Um, Sean was living in Weirton. Sean was living in Steubenville. Sean was living in Toronto. Sean was living, I can't say living, I'm going to say staying because he was Mm -hmm. more like a carpetbagger and I really honestly mean that. Okay. He crashed wherever he could crash at, Richmond. Um, his mom was in Richmond, his aunt was in Steubenville, we were on 213 in Toronto, uh, his friends were in Weirton, which is in West Virginia, Preston yes. Yates is in Eurexville, so you have almost a, an hour, an hour mm-hmm. of, I don't know, stretch of, huge, you know, uh, where you a huge, a lot of square miles that he covered staying with different people. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. Absolutely. A wide yes. range. He could just end up at anybody's house. Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, and when just so we're clear about all this, when you say Toronto, you mean Ohio, Toronto, not Ohio. not in not in not in Canada. Okay. Just yes, just sir. to make just to make sure everybody understands that. Okay. Now, of course, we know he's been in jail many times, and this is a topic that has come out come up at least a few times before in this program. After two hundred episodes, it's going to happen. But um, in being in jail, did he get involved? In a gang, was that something that before he went to jail or while he was in jail? As we know, there are, there are jail gangs and people get initiated in them while they're in jail and then are expected to be continue to be in them once they get out. Uh, was he in a gang? Which one? What, can you tell the listeners about that? I absolutely do believe he was involved with gang activity. At this time, we have not been able to pinpoint exactly which gang Sean would have been in. All we know is the members of a gang who may have been involved with his disappearance, which are the double R's, and, or the real riders. Okay. And where are they centered? Uh, what area of Ohio? Um, this is not a gang that I'd ever heard of before, so you'll have to tell the listeners about them. Yes, that would be more like a, a Wheeling, um, Bel Air, which is West Virginia and Ohio. So it does span a little bit of um, area okay. there. Okay. All right, but with no uh, no real proof he was in it. Uh, for example, um, just from a layman's point of view, like tattoos, anything like that. Some people speculate that his aunt tool tattoo across the top of his back and his FOE family over everything were gang tattoos, but I cannot prove that. Okay. All right. So. If there was one, it might have been one, but we're just not sure. Even, you know, here we are in 2021. He disappeared in 2017. That's something that's still up in the air. Yes, sir. Okay. Let's move on to this. Now we're going to move up to the year of his disappearance. Uh, you had told me that in this, uh, we're going to get to, you've already mentioned him once, but we will talk about him a lot more now. But earlier in 2017... Um, uh, Sean was living in a halfway house. Why was he there? When had he gotten out of jail to be put in this halfway house? What can you tell the listeners about that? Um, Sean had been incarcerated. Uh, believe it was on the, the receiving stolen property and being involved in, in a thievery aspect of things spring. Um, he did some jail time for that. Then he was moved to a halfway house. Uh, in that halfway house in Canton, Ohio, is where he met Preston Bates. Now, Sean got out of the halfway house a little bit before Preston did, but they still stayed in contact. Then after Preston got out of the halfway house, then they started to interact more, and mm -hmm. they actually started to involve each other and themselves in criminal activity with one another. Wow. Um, this Preston Yates. So once again, uh, Sean did not know him before this halfway house. They ended up meeting up there, becoming friends. And then when they both eventually got out of there, they went back to criminal activity. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, well, Sean, Sean did have a job. He was working okay. and whenever he would come home from work because it was out of town, they went to different states. Um, when he would come home and he would hook up with Preston Yates 
then yes, they would engage in criminal activity. Okay. Whether it was stealing drugs or stealing stuff, it whatever it was, it was still criminal activity. Okay. Um, we know that he did not disappear until December of 2017. To your best guess, you don't have to give us the actual date, but maybe the month. Uh, what month of 2017 would you say that uh, Sean got out of this halfway house? He got out in May. Okay. So approximately seven months, eight months before he disappeared. Yes. Okay. And then you said Preston got out a little later, maybe in June of 2017. Yes. Okay. And that's when they hooked back up. And you've already stated uh, this uh, Preston's place would be one of the places that Sean would go when he was carpetbagging, to use your words, moving around, sleeping on couches, uh, yes. etc. Okay. So they get out. And, um, you know, what goes on, uh, you know, the rest of that year, were you, the people on your side of the family, once again, the family members who you uh, know well, knew well, for example, of course, Sean's dad, how were you feeling about Sean uh, in the summer into the fall of 2017 as far as what he was doing with his life? Well, whenever Sean was engaged in criminal activity, he did not come to the Scots and Merits. He would have been with the stocks and the anthills. Okay. So, that being said, when Sean was knee-deep in criminal activity, he did not involve my family. Okay. He did not feel comfortable bringing that element around my family. Okay. Um, during that year, maybe after he got out uh, the half halfway house in May of 2017, would you say that you spoke to him at all? Would you say that your your I brother, his father, I, spoke to him I at do, all? I do not believe so. Um, my brother actually got married that same year to Vanessa, and Sean did not show up at the wedding. Wow. So I know they were not speaking. Like I said, if Sean was engaged in any type of criminal activity, which obviously he was, mm -hmm. he kept that away from my family because he knows we do not approve of those things. He would not be comfortable coming around us while he was engaged in criminal activity. Then he would have been around the antils and the stocks. Okay, thank you for that. All right, Absolutely. so this is so your belief then he's working, but he's also getting into trouble. And we're going to just come right up to uh, December 10th, 2017. Uh, and once again, uh, the listeners should realize that you did not find out about this until, of course, after it happened and everything. But what is your understanding of what went on that day, that night? Regarding Preston and Sean. Okay. Um, December 30th is actually when I found out. My cousin Cassie saw it on Facebook. She contacted me and my brother. She let us know it was happening. So we immediately went out to Harrison County, which is the county that Sean went missing in and was reported in. We went to speak to a detective toker to find out the logistics of everything that was going on. You could tell he was uncomfortable. He was pretty combative. He really didn't even want to talk to us. Um, he had the mindset that Sean was just another criminal and really wasn't, it wasn't worth his time to look into, um, especially since the main thing Toker was worried about was a B&E that Preston and Sean had done together on December 10th. Mm -hmm. So from December 10th until December 23rd, we already 
know that Sean was hiding out kind of from the cops because he mm. wanted to see his kids for Christmas. Okay. So he was going to turn himself in for that B and E. All right. Let's let's so, talk. Let's talk. Uh, we were seeing this B and E. Let's specifically just tell the listeners what it was. What did Preston and Sean do on December tenth? What what happened? Okay, they went to Rosebud Mining Company. They stole a truck. They assumedly probably ran some drugs or ran some stolen property somewhere, got some money, returned the truck to the mining company. They didn't think they'd ever get caught because they returned it. Sean dropped his phone in that truck, so Sean was caught red-handed. So they had this uh, beanie, went in, got this truck, and actually returned it, which uh, is the first time I've ever heard of something like that. But um, sometimes criminals make mistakes, and in this case, it was Sean leaving his phone behind. Um, at the time, on December 10th, or even shortly after that, maybe let's say for the next week, were you aware, was anybody on your side of the family aware that this crime had taken place? Or did you not find out about this until December 30th? I did not find out about anything until December 30th when I started investigating myself. Okay. And like you said, uh, it's still a little bit up in the air why they, they stole this truck and then returned it. But like you said, the suspicion is they were using this for other criminal activity. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, this Rosebud Mining, um, did Preston or Sean have a connection to this. Why do you think that it was that they chose to go to this place to steal a truck from there? Why not some other business? Any ideas? I think because it was easy access, and I think Preston was comfortable in that area because it was local. Okay. And where is Rosebud Mining? What what address does it have? What city? Um, uh, I'm not positive, but I think it's Freeport, Ohio. Okay. All right, so they do this, and somehow uh, Sean leaves his phone in the truck. Uh, this is uh, sometimes what happens in situations like this. And so we go from the 10th until at least the 23rd. You've already kind of talked about this time. Uh, you s stated that Sean was, like, lying low. Um, maybe, Of course, he would know that he left his phone behind. But during that time, did he get another phone? He had an old flip phone that he reactivated to use. Mm -hmm. So would that have been a new phone number, or would that have been the, uh, the phone number from the other phone that he, he, he left behind? Do you even know? Any idea? It would have been the same number. Same number. Okay. Yes. And, but he, as you stated, he had no contact with anybody on your side of the family. Um, during this time, once again, to the best of your knowledge, between the 10th, and what is it generally accepted to be the disappearance date of the 23rd? Did he have interaction with the other side of his family? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Any ideas? He's lying low. When you say this, you mean he, uh, he was going from place to place like he normally did, carpetbagging. Uh, once again, to use your word, I think it's a fine word. Um, just trying to stay low. And you said see his kids before Christmas. Yes. Okay. All right. And when did, a uh, quick question before we get actually get into the, the December 23rd story, which is still up in the air all, all, you know, all these days, uh, months, and a few years later. Um, so 
Everybody knows uh, that maybe has looked into this uh, disappearance before it's been publicized on Unfound that the official uh, date as of right now uh, that is recognized as Sean's disappearance date is December 23rd. Uh, when did somebody realize that Sean was missing and what did that person, was there a missing persons report fi filed? What happened? On December 30th, Preston Yates contacted Sierra Marie had her go to Harrison County and submit a missing persons report for Sean Antill. Who is Sierra Marie? That is Sean's step-cousin on the stock side. Okay. So a week later, uh, even though, once again, we all know now in 2021 that the disappearance date is December 23rd, a week later Preston gets somebody else to file the missing persons report for some reason instead of him doing it himself. And and so what story, uh, what was the first story? I guess we're going to put it this way. On December 23rd, once the 30th happened, what is the story that you understand was the first story that Preston tried to sell to people? Uh, that story is that Sean and Preston... We're in a car with Louise Ford Putnam. Sean started freaking out while they were in the car. So they pulled the car over on Route 250, made Sean get out of the car by the old children's home, um, and watched him run into the woods. Okay. Did they, once again, this is just the first story, so the listeners know other stories are coming, but uh, is there any testimony that they went after him, that they waited for him, anything? Um, nope. All Preston said was, my sister had the kid in the car. We were worried about our safety, so we pulled over because Sean kept saying the cops were following us, and he was freaking out, and he was on drugs. We just wanted him out of the car, so they pulled over and supposedly made Sean get out of the car. All right, and he runs off, never to be seen again, their story. That was the first story. Yes, sir. Okay, and we also have to remember at this point, the police are looking for Sean, maybe Preston too, due to the crime they committed on December 10th. So this would like be... Not quite two weeks later, 13 days later. And uh, this is allegedly what happened. Uh, Louise is driving the car, and they stop, and Sean takes off. Now, what you've also told me, though, is what you've learned, once again, I think, on December 30th or later, is that the very next day, Louise changed her story. Yes, sir. Please, um, please explain uh, that. What date did she change her story, and why did she do it? Once again, your understanding. Okay, um, December 30th is when the report was actually filed. The cops started asking questions. Louise gave her story. The next day, she came into the Harrison County Sheriff's Department, talked to Detective Toker, let him know that she wanted to retract for her whole statement, wanted to let him know that she was lying for her brother, was just trying to keep her brother safe, and they let her go. Huh. So the, the day after the Sierra Marie uh, does this report for Preston, the very next day, Louise comes in and tells a totally different story. 
Yes. Okay. She said Sean Antill was never in her car. Okay. He, she only went to Caddis to pick her brother up from Microtel. Okay. So this is New Year's Eve 2017 that she did this. Yes. Okay. All right, and is this uh, something you found out through, and we're going to talk about Detective Toker much later in this uh, interview, but at the time, did you find this out from him or from somebody else that she changed her story? I found out from Louise herself. She was oh, wow. speaking to a family member wow. on Messenger, and she relayed that message and asked them to let me know, please, and they did. Okay. Wow. All right, so the next day she comes and does this, uh, however, when she said that Sean was never in her car on December 23rd, did she have what you might call an alternate story? Like, could she give the cops the real story, or did she just simply say, I just, you know what, I, I just never saw Sean that day, and I have no idea otherwise? She stated that she never saw Sean, that he was never in her car, and that she knew her brother was lying. Okay. So, at this point... Being that they now know that Preston, you know, essentially Preston, uh, gave them a story that probably is not true. Did they track uh, him down, or what happened? Uh, unfortunately, that fell on our shoulders also. Harrison County did not want to go to Yerkesville, or to Tuscarora's County, actually, because it wasn't their jurisdiction. Um, so... We took it upon ourselves to get Preston to come to Harrison County with us to physically point out and show us where he took my nephew. And he absolutely did get in my car of his own free will. Hmm. He took us to Harrison County. He took us to Coal Trap Road, which is a horseshoe road, which comes in on 250 and comes right back out on 250 about a football field away. Um, when we pulled into Coal Trap Road, Preston realized that uh, my brother was behind me. He got out of the car. He said, you, you know, this is a setup. I said, no, that's Sean's dad, and he's who you really need to speak to, and he's got some questions for you. And when we got out of my vehicle, Preston pointed up to the wooded hillside and said, Sean got out of the car and ran up into the woods. Now, and what date, what, just so the listeners can put this in their own timeline, what date is this? That is December 31st, New Year's Eve. Okay, thank you. Please continue. Um, I had my phone on record because I wanted to never forget anything that he had to say. Um, my brother jumped out of the car that was behind us and immediately addressed Preston, said, I know you did something to my boy, you need to start talking to me. Um, I knew my brother was going to take Preston and walk him up that road so he could show my brother exactly what he was talking about earlier when he said that he passed Sean on the way back out that road, which was another red flag for us because we knew he was lying. There was no reason to ever turn around on that road. So Sean ran up in the woods. He never could have pulled back out, turned around, and passed him. So I dropped my phone in my brother's pocket so he could continue to record what Preston had to say. Um, on that 15-minute walk, Preston lied at least three more times. You could tell he was very nervous. Um, by the time we figured he wasn't going to tell us anything more, um, we contacted the Harrison County Sheriff's Department, let them know that he was in their county, and asked them to please come incarcerate him. Wow. On charges unrelated to Sean. All right, so Preston had 
other outstanding charges, including the crime on December 10th, right? Yes, sir. All right. Yes, so more than just Harrison County also. Right. Okay. And so they, so the, he didn't know, Preston didn't know that you called the cops. And so after this walk was done, uh, they were waiting for him. Um, he saw the, the Harrison County Sheriff's Department had come in both sides of Coal Trap Road. Um, and whenever they pulled in, we literally walked him up to them. I think he was kind of glad to see them, but as they were putting him in the back of his car, he actually looked at me for the first time, raked my eyes and said, you know, I'm going to go do jail time for a B&E, but I'm never going to do time for Ant Hill. And then he smirked and smiled and said, Sean who? Wow. And yeah, he went to jail for a couple days. He wasn't there long. Okay. All right. And so this happened on December 31st. And then he says that to you as he is taken away. Uh, so this guy that he was friends with, they did the, the this crime together. And then he's pretending like he doesn't even know Sean at all. Right. Some okay. friend, huh? I, 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 yeah, I would say the same thing. Uh, these recordings that you made, uh, do you have them? Um, do you still have I them or, or have what? I have some of them on iCloud files. Yes, I do. And the Harrison County Sheriff's Department also has them. And mm. I'm going to guess by this time, uh, anybody who needs them, law enforcement-wise, has them. Mm-hmm. Well, I would certainly like to uh, post them to our website, maybe on the YouTube channel, if you would allow it. Of course, I don't have them. If you'd like me to do that, I could do that if you want to send them to me, uh, Julie. If Once okay. again, I'm not telling you to. But no, it, absolutely. All right, so you and I can, believe I believe I believe Kelly Bruce may also still have her copy also. Okay. And if I can't get to mine quickly, she's I I'm, I agree to okay. have her send you her copy. I'm fine with that. All right. Well, Kelly Bruce, friend of the program, just on back in uh, May regarding the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. Uh, in fact, I just spoke to Kelly about a week ago. Uh, so great. I, I will speak to her as well. And uh, so I would certainly like to hear those recordings. I have not heard them yet as of the recording of this interview. Okay, so how long are these recordings, uh, the recording that you made? Um, the first one that I took on December 30th when we went to Preston's the first time is mm -hmm. about 30 minutes long. And the second one, which was on December 31st, is about an hour and a half long. Wow. Huh. Okay. And pretty good quality? Yes, sir. Very All right. Good. Great. All right. So you do that on the 31st, which was very crafty on your part. That's the first time I think that's ever happened in any disappearance I've covered where um, somebody was lured somewhere and you ended up, you know, getting him into custody. I, I, I applaud you for your efforts. That could have been very dangerous. But it was definitely a, it was definitely a, a joint effort. Yeah. But but I think this also shows how much you uh, continue and care and, and cared and care about Sean to do this. Absolutely. Okay. Now, what story did Preston end up being that his sister went in and said, "No, Sean, I never saw Sean." So Preston couldn't stick to that story. What was the new story that Preston ended up telling police or the investigators once he was in custody on on uh, New Year's Eve, twenty seventeen? Okay. He was in jail, obviously. Um, the detectives already knew uh, everything that was going on at that time. We kept them informed on everything we did. Um, Preston was taken on a field trip 
to an access road on Barger Road and to a field that leads up behind the county home. It is about a half a mile through Hayfield and there is a gate that Preston's car was stuck under. He claims that he got out of the car with Sean. Sean ran to the left. Preston ran to the right after they came to a dead tree that was straight in front of the car. He said that they saw headlights coming up that dirt access road that somebody was chasing them. Him and Sean split ways, and that was the last time he saw Sean. And he just left his vehicle there, or did he come back to get it? Do you know? I, I realize this is now his second story, and we have no reason to believe this, but we're going to talk about that. But when does he say he came back to get his vehicle? He says that his sister Louise, again, came to help mm -hmm. him because that is who he called after he allegedly got his bar stuck. Okay. All right, so, and has he ever stated who he thought was uh, was chasing he, him and Sean, or is that just still up in the air? All he said was her. Okay. She's coming. Okay. Now, is there, the? however, is there proof that Preston's vehicle hit that fence? Yes, sir. They paint matched it. They did wow. say that it was Preston's car underneath that gate. But I well, believe, can I uh, tell you what well, I believe? Well, we're not going to get into what you believe. We can't okay. go into what you believe. We're just, got, okay. I'm just asking you. So there is proof that Preston's vehicle did hit that fence. Yes, sir. All right. However, you actually, at some point before that, you were in that area before that, correct? Yes, we were. All right. And so when were you there? And when was the paint discovered on the fence? We have to. This is all I know. Very confusing for the listeners. I'm doing my best here. But when were you in that same area that he allegedly, where he allegedly hit the fence? When were you there? December thirty first. Okay. So the same day you and you lured uh, Preston to that area that he got um, taken to jail. You were in that area where that gate was, and you saw that gate, and it did not have paint on it. The cable gate at the bottom was untouched. There was okay. no tracks leading up to that area at all. It was fresh mm -hmm. snow. Mm -hmm. It was untouched. The no trespassing sign, everything, all of that was untouched. We walked up around it. Okay. All right. But when they went back out there to follow Preston's story, what date was that, do you think, that they finally went that and was, checked that fence? That would have been January 2nd. Okay. So then how was it then, if we're not to believe Preston, uh, then how is it that his vehicle, I'll allow you to speculate here, how is it that then his vehicle, being that you didn't see any um, proof of his vehicle there on the 31st, but it seems on the 2nd there was proof, how did that happen? What happened? Once again, I'll allow you to speculate here. I believe... Preston was setting up his alibi. Okay. I believe after Preston realized someone was definitely looking for Sean Antill, that he was going to have to cover his tracks okay. and make a, a, a sustainable alibi for himself. Okay. And when do you think, though, so once again, disappearance date is December 23rd. 
when do you think that Preston ran his vehicle into that into that fence with the, where the paint was left? When do you think I'm he did? I'm going to say after he got out of jail, um, which would have been uh, – see, he was in jail two times really close together, which is kind of confusing for me sometimes. So whenever he took the cops up there, they were able to match paint. So on January 2nd, he was out of jail. By January 4th, the police had the report. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't give him a lot of time, being that you were there on the 31st, and we know that he got taken to jail, and then they went back up there on the 2nd and found the paint on the fence. That doesn't give Preston a lot of time to get his vehicle and drive back up there and wreck it. No, it does not. Okay. All right. But there's, all right, so, but you think that there, but once again, your understanding, I wasn't there. You believe there is enough time in there for him to have done that? Yes, I do. Okay. I believe, I believe as soon as he was released from jail, I believe he was covering his butt because he was still so scared that somebody was actually going to find out the truth. Okay. So after he gets out of jail on the second or the, the first or whatever, just a day or two after he got taken away when you were there, he went back home, got his vehicle, drove it up there, and ran it in there, and then drove away. Yes, because his vehicle was impounded yep. in another county before that. So I don't understand how his vehicle could be in two places at once. All right, and we're going to get to that right now. We'll just call this continuing the, the rest of the case here. Preston's vehicle. Um, because once again, he's saying... The second story is that Preston and Sean were in his vehicle on the 23rd. They were getting chased. They hit that fence. They run their separate directions. Sean's never seen again. But the research that you've done says that his car actually on December 23rd was impounded. Yes, in another county. He didn't even have his car on the 23rd. Correct. All right. How did you find that out? How did you even think to look into that? When did you discover that piece of information? Please, that's really good detective work. Uh, how did you find that out? Actually, I spoke with Sean's girlfriend who was incarcerated in Jefferson County just to find out as much as I could possibly find out about what was going on. She let us know that Sean was trying to get to borrow her vehicle because they did not have a vehicle because Preston's was impounded. That's how I found out. Brittany Cunningham told me. Because that's why they were trying to get to Brittany's, was to borrow her car while she was in jail. Okay, so this whole setup, seemingly, that, that Preston did to try to say on the 23rd, uh, I guess he was hoping people wouldn't figure out that actually his car was impounded. So it's impossible for him and Sean to be in Preston's vehicle on the 23rd, hitting that fence, because on the 23rd the vehicle was impounded in a totally different county. Yes. Okay. All right. So the first story uh, is backed out of uh, due to uh, the sister saying, no, Sean was never in my vehicle. The second story that Preston tells investigators uh, about him and Sean getting chased, he and Sean getting chased, uh, falls apart because they couldn't have been in um, Preston's car on the date that he says. What did police make of this when... Uh, they found out that Sean or that Preston lied to them again. Um, honestly, the detective we had at the time was so frustrated with the case 
he asked us to please stay home and let him catch up with everything because we were we were very very active we did not stop trying to find out information we wanted every little bit of information we could gather every bit of information we gathered we gave straight to Harrison County which I also gave to Belmont County because I did not trust the detective that we had in Harrison County Okay. So as far as their efforts and what they knew in the beginning, they knew pretty much everything we gave them. So there was no mm -hmm. surprises of anything mm -hmm. that they found out that we didn't already know. Okay. Uh, but how, once again, this is Detective Toker in Harrison County. How did he react to this piece of information regarding the car, be it Preston's car being impounded? Um, he was nonchalantly blowing off pretty much everything. He told us that the information that we had may or may not be useful and that any information he that we gave him, he would check out thoroughly. Whether he did or not, I do not know. Okay. All right, so that's uh, the vehicle information. Uh, do you know if they did any forensics on... Uh, Preston's vehicle for any reason on Louise's vehicle any forensics on any vehicle connected to this disappearance at all the only vehicles I know of that they did any type of processing to would have been Preston's vehicle they did process that Preston's vehicle they did not find anything useful um, I know that they processed another unidentified car which they did find some human blood in but it was not Sean's so they ruled out that car of being involved at all they did not process Preston's mom's car they did not process Louise's car they did not no they did not process many cars at all okay and we're going to come back to uh Preston's mother and it's going to come up here in a little bit because we're still not quite sure on that 23rd uh where um, Preston and Sean were, however, there may be somebody we're going to talk about in a little bit that maybe can give some background on that if we are to believe him. But let's move on to this, and maybe this is going to bring uh, that topic into focus right now. We remember that, for the listeners, that Sean's phone was left in that truck that they stole on December 10th. But he got another phone. And so, do we have any ping information regarding the 23rd, regarding Preston's phone, Sean's phone, any communications between all of them? What, can you, what do you know about that? I do know that Sean and Preston's phones pinged together until 6.38. They were in Yorksville. They were in um, the Wooster area. So, we do know that they were together. Um, which was Sean's and Preston's phones both pinging together. Um, then it just abruptly ends at 6.38. The last ping that we have from Sean's phone is uh, about a quarter of a mile away from Preston's house and his back, his mom's backyard, which is the Tuscarawas River. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was uh, the last place Sean's phone pinged. And, and what, on what date was this last ping? December 23rd. December 23rd. Okay. And so these pings that you're talking about, the last one being 6.38 p.m. where the two of them are together, you're saying that is in the approximate location of where Preston's mother lived? Correct. And did Preston live with her? What 
Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. And what is she? What did she say at the time uh, about all of this? Preston the pings. Preston and uh, Sean breaking uh, or stealing this truck, bringing it back, etc. What did the police ever talk to her back in 2017 or early 2018? Unfortunately, no. Um, she was bedridden. She was a sick woman. So I don't believe that they took any of those problems to her. I don't believe she knew anything that was going on. Okay. And, and she is now deceased. So, so am I, yes. Uh, did she die in 2018 or do you even know? Um, I believe that was not until 2020. All right, so... Still, there were two years. Of course, I don't know what kind of condition she was in. Uh, do you even know what disease? Did she have cancer? Do we even know this? Uh, I do not. Okay, so we don't know if, uh, you know, she was lucid, you know, knew what was going on. She might have been bedridden, but she could still have her mind, you know, just to, oh, you, know, you know, tell her, you know, just what she remembers from around that time. But it doesn't seem we have any information regarding that. And once again... What town is this uh, where she lived? Where is her house? That is in Yorksville, Ohio. Yorksville. And her backyard butts up against a river? Yes, the Tuscarora River. It's like right on the bend. It's called Big Bend, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, right, on, right on the Big Bend of the golf course and the cemetery. Okay. And now that you brought up the cemetery, that segues very uh, right into this. You told me... Uh, once again, in a prior conversation, about some pingings that had something to do with a cemetery. Whose phone was this? When was this? What can you tell the listeners? That was Sean's phone. Um, that would have been the same day on the 23rd. There is a several um, pings right in a row which go in a circle that is about as big as a bedroom. And mm -hmm. they, the, the analysis of the pings said that it looks like either someone was walking around in a circle confused and didn't know what to do or mm -hmm. there was a struggle and every time the phone button was pushed then it would obviously make another ping because it was in a circle a large you know like a huh. large circle but they kept pinging very rapidly okay now, when, you, when we talk about uh, the last ping uh, at 6.38 on December 23rd, uh, has anybody ever been able to tell you, does that mean that the phone was turned off? Was the battery taken out of it? Did the battery die? Has anybody ever been able to give you a definitive uh, answer on that? No, sir. And do we know anything about Preston's uh, the phone, the his pinging? Of course, we know that he's not missing. We're taking, I'm taking for granted, he continued to use cell phones. Do we even know uh, when his phone started pinging again after 6:38 on December 23rd, 2017? Do we know anything about that? Not, not at this time because the warrants for the phone records were only up until December 23rd, mm -hmm. which is also being revisited. So hopefully soon we'll have more information on that. Okay. Maybe I should ask you this. Uh, um, besides Preston, and we're going to get into this, uh, this fellow named Kevin in a moment, but let's just say before December 23rd, has anybody that you believe come forward and said, you know what, I saw Sean on December 22nd. I saw Sean on December 21st. Anybody ever come forward like that that you believe 
that has said that? Only his mom. Only his mom. Okay. Sean's mom saw him, and actually my cousin Cassie saw Sean and his mom at Walmart in Steubenville the day before that. Okay, so uh, this whole laying low stuff, he was laying low, but he was kind of going out too. Yeah, he was yeah. only going to where he, he knew he wasn't going to be in trouble. He was only around mm. people he was comfortable with, you know, people mm. who weren't going to get him, you know, into any uh, yeah. cop areas where the cops could right. recognize him because surely he would have been picked up. Nobody who was going to turn him in otherwise. Correct. Okay, gotcha. All right. So we do, so I guess when I, the reason I wanted to establish that is just wanted to make sure that this is, the disappearance date wasn't the 21st or something. Because as the listeners know, we've had many disappearances where phones probably were used by other people after the fact. Okay, that's... So I'm just trying to make sure that December 23rd is a, a pretty solid date. And it does sound like it is. Okay, uh, any phone records, like actual texts, calls from Sean's phone to Sean's phone on the 23rd? Um, there was an outgoing call to Brittany Cunningham's mother, Sharon, telling her that they were on their way. No, I'm sorry. That was a text message. Okay. It was an outgoing text message to Sharon, letting her know that they were on their way to get Brittany's car. He also made a phone call to um, Cindy Albertson, which is his baby's mother's mom. It was where his children are staying Okay. to let her know that he was back in town and he would be there for Christmas to see the boys. Okay. All right. And, uh, this call that was made about, uh, the car, uh, was this something that was supposed to happen that evening, December 23rd or, or what do you think? It was supposed to happen between the 22nd and the 23rd, because on the 22nd is the day he went and saw Brittany Cunningham in jail in mm -hmm. Jefferson County. Okay. So we do know Sean was alive and well. He's on video okay. talking to Brittany while she was in jail. All right. That's another good proof that the t December 23rd uh, is the, the best date for this disappearance. Okay. Yes. All right. So we do, and we do have records from the 23rd. It all seems to kind of all go together. Now, let's move on to this, and, and when did this guy pop up? His name is Kevin. Uh, how did you find out about him? And he had something to say about December 23rd and seeing both Preston and Sean together. What did he have to say? How did you encounter him? How did that all come about? Okay. Um, as you know, I went straight to social media. I begged, screamed anything just to get people to pay attention to listen um i wanted to make it as personal to people as i possibly could i asked for any information that anyone may have had that seen or heard or had contact with sean and this gentleman contacted us through a friend on messenger gave his phone number and asked to have sean's people call him so my brother Sean's dad is the one who fielded that information um, he did speak with Kevin Kevin relayed to my brother that he did party with his son and that he was alive and well when he last saw him that he and Sean 
were doing meth together and they snorted a small line of crystal meth while they talked about Christmas and what was coming up and Sean was talking about his kids. Kevin said, you know, your boy seemed like a really nice kid. Um, He said, we were doing it over here talking and Preston was smoking his crystal meth over in a corner somewhere by himself and that they were borrowing his car um they went and got drugs in steubenville they came back they were doing drugs together that they had just received and that he was there to spend time with preston's sister and he went and did that spent time with preston's sister so he did not see sean and preston after that point but when he got up the next morning sean was not there all right, so Kevin. And that was at Preston's mom's house in Yorkville. All right, so Kevin's at uh, Preston's mom's. Preston and Sean are there, and he's saying that um, he fell asleep or something. But and then when when he woke up, Preston and Sean weren't there, and he just left on his own. Preston was still there sleeping. Preston, Sean, was, uh, not Sean there. was gone. And did Preston give Kevin a story as to where Sean was? He did not, although I do know that whenever Preston got out of jail, Kevin Jackson is who he called for a ride mm-hmm. and told Kevin that he was being looked at for a homicide and that if he had anything to say, he should think again about it because snitches end up at the pig farm. That's what Preston told Kevin? Yes. All right, and when and so, uh, what time was this uh, that Kevin picked Preston up from jail? Could have this have been on just January first, January second, or was this some later time? What do you think? Or that, it definitely would have been the January time because we didn't talk to Kevin mm-hmm. until January eighth, I believe it was. Wow. Okay. So yes, it was after Preston got out of jail. Okay. So Kevin's uh, awake, Sean and Preston are there, he goes to sleep at uh, Preston's mother's place, he gets up, Preston is there, Sean isn't there, and Preston has no explanation. Correct. Okay. Let's move on to this. Now, something we left out of uh, when you ran into Preston on December 31st is that he had a black eye. Tell the listeners about it. Oh, whenever I noticed Preston's black eye, I asked him about it. I asked him if my nephew gave him that black eye. He told me it wasn't a black eye. It was only that he was tired. I said, no, I don't believe so, because tired doesn't have healing yellow and purple around it. That's definitely a black eye. Mm -hmm. And so we have to remember, though, this is eight days after December 23rd. So I suppose... You know, I'm no medical expert. I'm not a, certainly not a black eye expert. I've never had a black eye, but it would seem if somebody got a black eye, I don't know, a week before that, that might be the condition it would be in a week later. I believe so. Not completely healed. Unfortunately, I have plenty of experiences with black eyes. Okay. Well, then, then you, given your uh, layperson uh, experience with black eyes, why don't, what do you think uh, about his black eye? How long do you think in the past that it happened? It was about a week old, I believe, and I believe that Sean put it there. Okay. All right, let's move. So he had this black eye. 
and but he never did. He just said it wasn't a black eye at all. Correct. He didn't say, "Oh, I got in a fight. Oh, I hit, ran into a door. Oh, I fell down." He just just denied. He said even... he was tired. Okay. He said, it's just because I'm tired. Okay. Um, we've talked about his mother's car, but just to keep this simple, would Preston have had access to his mother's car on December 23rd? Yes, I believe he did. All right, and and Kevin had a car too, correct? Yes, he and he did. and he was there, and and allegedly he fell asleep. If we're to believe him, okay. So Preston's car is impounded, but he had access to at least two other cars. Seemingly, was yes. uh, the mother's house ever searched, whether she, when she was alive or after she died? Was no, the property ever searched? On, anything that that is on the list to be done. Although uh, we did have dogs ran back behind his house at that cemetery and golf course. Mm-hmm. Okay. But not in the house. That's on the list. Okay. So we're three and a half years, roughly, into this, and the house where Sean was last seen has not been searched. Not yet. No. All right. And and uh, who owns that house now? Does Preston still live there? Where it, You know, what what's the situation? Um, Preston's mom was renting the house after she passed away. Oh. It was rented to someone else. Okay. All right. Well, at least it's not owned by Preston or his family, right? It's owned Correct. by somebody else. Okay. Yes. Uh, we have to remember that this whole got uh, all got started with Louise being involved in this story. You, We know that she went in the next day on December 31st and said, no, that's not what happened. But... Um, I feel like I probably need to tell you this because if I don't, I feel like I'm not giving you my, my whole story. Um, I did message Louise and I did ask her if she ever saw the movie next of kin and the investigator said that is what prompted her to go in and take out her huh report wow i'm not, i've never seen that movie have you seen that movie is there a reason oh, that yes, sir. it's one of my favorite movies it's a patrick swayze movie and when something bad happened to one of their family members the whole family started to investigate and took retribution on the people responsible oh that's the movie that's the plot of the movie yeah. i've never seen it yes okay so that uh so that's what louise told you yes okay um how much interaction have you had with her since January 2018? Zero. All right, so... Zero. After I sent her that message, <clears throat> she blocked me and, and went directly to Harrison County. I see. Any insight into that? Um, she did speak to a couple of my family members. She did say that she is sorry about everything that happened, even though she doesn't have the details. She felt like her brother was somehow responsible for mm -hmm. Sean not making it home to his children for Christmas. Okay. Especially since her brother wanted her to lie for him. Yes. I mean, the main reason. Especially since, yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. very good. All right, let's move on to this. We've mentioned his name several times. But uh, you were not impressed with his work while he was an investigator, and it seems his his supervisors were not impressed either. But Robert Toker, um, let's talk a little bit about him. Um, he's not he's not does not work for Harrison County anymore. Do you remember um, 
You, of course, you dealt with him. You did not think he took this seriously. In fact, he has some sort of weird, uh, like, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon connection to all of this. What What was it? One degree. One degree. All right. He thank you. Is, he is the first cousin of Brittany Cunningham's mother, Sharon Albright. So he should have removed himself from this case before he even put his name to it since he is a family member of someone who is involved. So, and remind the listeners who is Brittany Cunningham? Is Brittany Cunningham was Sean's girlfriend at the time of his disappearance. Wow. He is also, when he was removed from duty, he was caught having a sexual relationship with Brittany Cunningham's best friend. Is there uh, any documented proof of this? Is this just a rumor? Um, oh, no, we don't want to all end up no, in court no here, rumors. Julie. No rumors. No rumors. That's 100% on public file. You can look it up yourself. Okay. And, and so why would he get fired? What would be the reason he would get fired for having a relationship with an adult? Because she was an informant of his. I see. Okay. So, and if the listeners do look up uh, Detective Robert Toker, for example, if you go to newspapers.com and put in his name, you will find uh, that uh, he's quoted many times and then, you know, as an investigator for other things that he worked on. And then he's not mentioned at all. And in fact, you will find a couple articles that state they are having to go back for some of the investigations that he did to go over them because they believe that he might have um, not done as thorough work as one might think he should have. Uh, well, I sir, whenever they, whenever they removed him from his office... Um, they did find two unprocessed rape cases along with my nephew's sweatpants that we personally handed him ourselves that he also told me at the time would go straight to BCI. They made it to a bottom shelf in his office with two unprocessed rape cases in a brown paper bag. Wow. That's also proven, not speculation. Okay. And so, uh, but it wasn't until like 2020, correct, that he correct. Uh, was let go? That is absolutely, no, it wasn't until 2021, February, this year. I believe. This year? Yes. yes. This year? Okay. It's been a long haul, sir. Okay. So there's that, and that um, may have had an influence or not. I don't know if I want to get to the, the to the, to the, go to the end of, well, this disappearance would be solved by now if it was somebody else, but um, it certainly would help if somebody maybe with a little better character uh, was in charge. Okay. Yes, yes. Now, we usually, don't, we usually don't do rumors on this program, but, um, and we're going to just talk about this very briefly because I think that Listeners and listening to this, going along with the facts, what Kevin said, the pings and everything, um, could easily be believe that something happened at the house, all right, at Preston's mother's house. Very easy to believe. Unfortunately, though, there's been a lot of talk since then that maybe Preston and Sean went somewhere to a party or something and something happened there. Very briefly, um, 
just tell the listeners what you've heard in like a hundred words or less. There was a party at Tina Ray Struthers. Preston and Sean showed up there. A fight broke out. Preston left. Sean did. Okay, and is there any any facts? Once again, I know you. When did you first start hearing about this? We started hearing about a party. We did not know where the party was until recently, but we started hearing about a party um, immediately in 2018, as soon as the new year mm-hmm. broke out, and we started going to social media. And what is the host of this party? You just mentioned her name. What has she said about this rumor? Have you talked to her? Anybody talked to her? She is incarcerated right now. She will not speak Mm -hmm. with me. Um, I don't know if anyone else has. Um, She's been trying to keep herself out of the situation for as long as it's been here. So I do not believe that she will be a viable route for information for me. Okay. And... Any facts at all to back this up? Or is this, once again, we hear a lot of rumors when it comes to cases like this where it seems like we talk about a lot of people with criminal records. You know, you get a lot of rumors. But is there any proof to this uh, at all? The only proof we have is hearsay. Mm. So if you don't have the hearsay, we yeah. have no proof okay. at this time. All right, but this is just something that's popped up. Yes. And being that we talked about a gang earlier, could it have something to do with that gang that we mentioned earlier? I do believe so. Some people say no, but right now it's speculation up in the air. Okay. But law enforcement has definitely said they are leading that way, headed that way, yes. Okay. Maybe I should ask you that. Being that Robert Toker is gone, um, what about the, the person who is now in charge? you have a better feeling about this person or what? Uh, I cannot even begin to express the respect and the gratitude I have for Detective Smith. He walked into an absolute mess, and he has taken the time to go every single route legally with warrants and finding the answers and finding the truth in the rumors and sorting it all out to the best of his ability. And I believe that he is our absolute best hope to bring Sean home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Has he, I uh, got to ask, has he said anything uh, just to you about Robert Toker about the prior investigation? Is he ever, I'll just give you an example. He said, man, this guy didn't know what he was doing. This guy, uh, really let these things go. Has he ever made any statements like that, or has just that name uh, never he, come up? He said, he said the first time we talked to Detective Smith, he said, you already know what I'm dealing with. Every bit of information I have, you guys already have, and you guys have been dealing with this longer than I have and have done a better job at this than Toker did. So if you guys could catch me up, I would rather listen to you than go by what is in the case file. Wow. Okay. That speaks volumes. Yeah. Okay. Now, so what's Preston uh, doing these days? Where is he? What's Uh, he doing? As far as I know, Preston is living his life a free 
free man working at a mobile home place in Sugar Creek. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did uh, speak uh, going back to the crime that was committed on December tenth? Did he ever do any time for that? Was ever proven that he was involved? What happened there? Being that we know kind of maybe how this might have gotten started was. Uh, Preston ever charged? Did he spend any time in jail? Yes, he did. Um, the mine actually had video cameras, which I don't think Preston was aware of. So with or without Sean's phone, they still would have been able to tell who did that crime. Okay. All right. And he, uh, I guess, was there a trial or did he just plead guilty? What Do you even know what happened? I do not know what happened. All I know was... Um, when I put his name into Vine search, it did come up that he was incarcerated for a breaking and entering. So I just uh, figured that was the rosebud. Okay. Let's move on to this. So those are all uh, the facts as we now know them. As of we're doing this interview on July fifth, twenty twenty one. Those are the facts as we now understand them. Uh, approximately three and a half years after Sean Antill went missing. Uh, yesterday, I think it was, or maybe, the, I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before, uh, Julie, you sent me an email with a story, um, that I, I would like you to tell the listeners right now, kind of a vision, a message, um, uh, something like that, uh, yeah. that you experienced. Please tell the listeners about it now. Okay. Um, it was about a year and a half into Sean's disappearance and I really needed a girl's day. So I was trying to ease myself and and just relax a little bit, trying to get Sean's case off my mind because it was driving me ultimately bonkers. I was talking to God on my way to Maslin, and I told him, you know, out loud, I was just talking to him. I was like, God, you know, I'm trying here, and, and I've done everything I know I can do. I really need to just put this in your hands for now because I, I'm I need a break, and If there's anything that you need my help with, I need a clear sign, an undeniable clear sign that you need me to do more. So I picked my best friend up in Maslin. She asked me to take her to pick up her paycheck, and I did. That was on Erie Street. And as we were coming back out Erie Street, I had to stop at a stop sign. When I stopped at that stop sign, you're looking looking around, make sure there's no traffic or whatever. Well, to the right of me is a home sitting on the corner, and right out the front door walks Preston Yates. I literally froze. I had tunnel vision. I, I blacked out. I don't know. I was just angry and upset and confused, and my best friend was shaking my arm. She's like, honey, we got to move. There's cars behind us, and the car behind us was beeping. So I pulled off. There's a little parking lot. I pulled off into it, and I sat there, and I cried for a few, and Melissa's like, that was Preston Yates, wasn't it? Because I did point. I pointed to mm-hmm. him whenever she shook my arm, and I just pointed. Couldn't do anything else. I couldn't talk. And I sat there, and I cried for a few, and, and I was like, you know, that that's Preston Yates. And I was like, I'm not sure exactly what I should do right now. And she said, well, we can always go and talk to Detective Brown. Well, that is a, a – I used to work in Maslin. I worked at McDonald's for a very long time. I knew a lot of cops back then. So when she said that, a light went off, and I said, yeah, you're absolutely correct. So we made a couple stops and talked to a couple people and ultimately found out that they would help pick Preston up with any other counties 
approval. All they had to do was ask for help. And if Harrison County would send their warrant to Stark County, they would watch him until they received it and then pick him up. What took Detective Toker days, I'm not talking hours, I'm talking days, Mm -hmm. and many emails and phone calls pleading, you know, they're waiting on you. Can you please send them the request for apprehension for your warrant? And, uh, And we got pressed in a second time. But God led me to him on purpose that day. There's no other way to explain that. God in one Mm -hmm. hand and Sean in the other. And that's how I've been getting through this whole thing. And he Mm -hmm. proved that to me that day that he still needed our help and that we couldn't quit. Thank you for that, Julie. Uh, Thank you. Uh, We should add something else uh, to all of this. uh, uh, You know, that... There have been um, threats and things that have occurred over the last three and a half years. Oh, yes. Um, I tried to just not even think about those. Yes, me, my family, my friends. Um, mainly the, the worst one I think was in the beginning was Justin Wallace sending me messages telling me if he finds my Billy Badass in Bel Air or Belmont County, I'm going to be sorry. and to stop asking questions and to just shut up and go away. And he didn't know Sean and we had no right trying to figure out, you know, who he was. And it, it, who is, just, who is this person? Who is this? Uh, Justin Wallace is a, a gang member. He is a thug. He is a very criminally minded, bad person. He uh, has a very extensive criminal history. His Mm -hmm. latest incarceration was this past year. He got out of prison. The feds and everybody else have been watching him. He was in drug activity. Uh, They went to arrest him. He assaulted a police officer. Police officer was in very bad condition, and he landed himself back in prison again for another 10 to 15 years on charges unrelated to Sean's case, but we do believe he is very involved in Sean's case. And that's the reason he would be contacting you? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. And is uh, he's in a gang? Would it be this uh, RR gang? Yes, sir. He most certainly is. Okay. Uh, as the listeners uh, know, as I already stated earlier, um, that uh, I did have a chance to speak. Uh, it was a three-way. It was like you and two others, including uh, Sean's father. So I've gotten you know to at least talk to him at least a little bit. Um, how has this affected him? And I, maybe I should ask this: Sean, have other brothers and sisters that are concerned with all of this? You know, what what about that? Yes, Sean has other sister. Uh, he has got a sister and a brother. Um, let me see, three sisters and a brother. Mm-hmm. He, um, yes, they're they're all very you know concerned about what happened. Um, I don't have too much conversation or interaction with them, um, mostly because I try to keep in a very small circle. I don't think that everybody has to be confronted with a lot of these 
dark things we have to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I have night terrors and I have nightmares still to this day. And I, I just, I try to shield my nieces from some of that stuff. I mean, I know they think I'm a bad person for it, but I don't mean it that way. It's not like I feel like it's none of their business or it's none of their concern. I feel like I, I don't, I don't want them subjected to these things. Right. I don't, I don't want their name out there full blown. I don't want gang members or, you know, scary people to want to do them harm. So no, I, I, I try to only keep it within a, a few select people. Okay. I don't know if that's wrong of me or not, but that's just how I, I've felt about it. Okay. I mean, it's a free country. If they want to take themselves to 250 and to Caddis and to Harrison County, and if they want to hand out flyers or if they want mm-hmm. to go talk to people, that is completely up to them. I do not put them out there like that. No. Okay. All right. So we have these uh, threats that, that seem to have started very early on. And uh, this is uh, obviously, as the listeners can tell in your voice, this has very, uh, been very hard on you, um, you know, doing this work, being the spokesman for the family. Um, do you have a Facebook page, a website, anything like that set up for Sean's disappearance? We have hashtag bring Sean home. It's all small case letters. Um, we put as much information in there as we can. Some of the information we have... Of course, law enforcement does not want on there, so we do not share some stuff that they ask us not to. Everything that I've shared with you mm-hmm. is absolutely, you know, I've, I've been given absolute go-ahead to do it, so I do. Um, but some things we're not allowed to put out there yet, so I don't. Okay. But anything that, that, that we have that we can share is on hashtag bring Sean home. Hashtag bring Sean home. That's S H A W N, right? Not S E A N. Another popular spelling. Bring Sean home. S H A W N. Okay. Yes. Uh, any final words before we complete this interview, Julie? Um, I just want to thank you, Ed. I want to thank you, and I want to thank Kelly Bruce too. She's been. Very uh, supportive. I feel like she's almost like a big sister because I really didn't know where to go and what to do. I knew she had a lot more experience in those things. So her tutelage has been great. Um, Anybody out there who has shared information and and just supported us, I greatly appreciate it. So does Sean's family. His kids, um, my heart hurts for them. They're not in the greatest of atmospheres. Uh, I can't do anything about that, but they're going to grow up eventually, and they're going to come and find us just like Sean did. Yeah, the kids uh, and a lot of these disappearances, uh, they get caught in between. They get mixed up in things among adults. You know, they are are collateral damage uh, in things that happen between adults uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Of course, we cover disappearances... That could be suicides or people walking away, of course, foul play, etc. And it, uh, the children, if these missing people have children, they are ultimately the collateral damage for all of this, no doubt about it. No Heartbreaking. D- yeah. Uh, Julie, I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound.
appreciate you too, Ed. And thank you from Sean's family and all of us. You're welcome. And that was my July 5th, 2021 interview with Julie Scott, aunt of Sean and Till. I thank her for joining me and all of you on the program. I did a short video to show all of you the locations mentioned during the interview. You can find it on the Unfound Podcast YouTube channel. In addition, I was sent a couple of the recordings Julie made back at the end of 2017 and into 2018. She mentioned them during the interview. You can now find those recordings on both our website, theunfoundpodcast.com, and on the YouTube channel. As I stated in the summary, I continue to be amazed by people who have a history of getting caught committing crimes, Preston Yates, career criminal, but somehow he and all these others, who we've mentioned over the past almost five years in these types of disappearances, have become experts at hiding people. That is, if they had anything to do with the disappearance in the first place. Why is this? How does this happen? How do they do it? Well, those questions would be a lot easier to answer if we had more examples of these types of disappearances being solved. The problem? We have very few. Austin Pivos is probably the closest yet it is surely not totally similar to Sean's. The other problem we have in trying to answer how these people successfully pull off making people disappear is that there is counter-evidence, meaning Preston could actually be telling the truth. Why do I say that? There is video to prove that Brennan Smokey, a guy very much like Sean, ran off after he and two other guys got chased by police. Brennan is still missing. If you haven't listened to that episode, do so after this one. Likewise, we have Keith Fetter, who also ran off after being in a car with friends. And that disappearance doesn't even involve career criminals or drugs or changing stories. Once again, if you don't know that disappearance, go back into Unfound's catalog to find it. What makes this even more complicated in trying to explain how these types of people manage to defeat the rest of us is they're usually doing this in a very short time span and under the effects of drugs while trying to cover their tracks. I mean, if it wasn't so terrible and horrible and devastating, I would be impressed. So, what's the best answer I have? The best I have is that because these people have experience with crime, even if they're not very good at it, it's enough to help them in these situations where they have to commit one or cover up one. I say that because we must contrast the Prestons of the world with those people with no criminal records who we suspect in causing disappearances. For example, Jeff Green, pristine record, but a terrible liar in regards to his wife Angela Green's disappearance. He makes Preston Yates sound like Honest Abe. Or the wife of Robert Cox, a woman with no criminal record, 
She claims that he just walked off into the woods, despite him being in terrible physical condition. Really, is that the best she could do? So no matter what you may think of Preston, the husband of Angela Green and the wife of Robert Cox told more bizarre stories than Preston did. What I'm saying is, I think that people like Preston Yates actually have an advantage. A huge advantage, due to them being career criminals. Because they are used to lying to police, to misleading people to get what they want, and they're used to doing it under stress. In fact, they've done it so much, they may not feel any stress at all. I think this then transfers to disposing of people who may even be close friends of theirs. It's just another day for them. Whereas law-abiding citizens who suddenly go off the rails, they have no experience with being interrogated by police and even thinking about covering up a crime. So their nerves get the best of them. That doesn't mean they spill the beans on what they did, but it certainly means they look a lot worse in trying to cover it up. I think it is also the reason these types are more likely to get caught. Why? Because they have no experience covering up crimes. Carlos Rodriguez, the murderer of Zoe Campos, for example. Overall, this means whether you are good or bad at covering up crimes. Either way, that experience helps covering up the next one. It's just a theory I'm working on at this point. But this is the way we must think if we don't want these types of disappearances to continue. I think we underestimate the Prestons of the world. They're good at their bad work. And they're getting better at it. I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.